You're listening to the Gonzo Star Wars Specials. I'm Alex Shaw. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. This is the third of a series of six episodes, each dealing with a Star Wars film. In the last two weeks, we did The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, so you should definitely go back and listen to them first. Joining me once more is my regular co-host, Neil Taylor from Game Burst, and we have two guests on the show. First up, Mike Barton from Game Overcast. Hello, Mike. Hello. And secondly, Paris Lilly from Uncle Gamer Radio and one of the shows that re-inspired me to go back to these much more movie-focused podcasts, Remember When. Hello, everyone. So to start us off and give us a general overview as to where this film stands in our estimation of the saga, let's briefly put the six Star Wars movies in our order of preference. For example, mine is Empire, New Hope, Jedi, Sith, Phantom, Clones. Uh, no, no, for me, it's got to be pretty similar. It's Empire, New Hope, Return of the Jedi, uh, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, and then this one. Whoa! Okay, we're going to get some hate. Uh, very similar once again. Empire, Jedi, Hope... Whoa, you prefer uh, Jedi to hope. Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, uh, Episode 1, and then, of course, The Sith. So, Paris. All right, well, I think I'm going to spark a little bit of controversy Uh-oh. here. I'll strap uh, myself in. <laughs> I go Empire, A New Hope, Revenge of the Sith. Whoa! <laughs> We're going to get some Now, here's the real controversy. Phantom Menace. Jedi. Jedi. Class. Attack. Wow. Okay. We can't even go into why you don't like Jedi, but, uh, okay. I have a lot fewer issues with Revenge of the Sith than I did with the first two films. For a start, the story actually kicks in. Up until this point, Lucasfilm were merely arranging chairs for the main event, but that event definitely finally happens in this one. It's also got some subtle moments that were lacking in Episodes 1 and 2. It's not without its problems, but we're now at a level that I can understand why a lot of folks prefer this one to Jedi. So what did you guys think of General Grievous in this movie? Because he, he basically he's the guy that uh, at the beginning like pushes the story forwards. If I could start that off... Yeah, go for it, yeah. I... Okay, here's my thing with Grievous. What we saw in the Tarkovsky mm-hmm. uh, version of the uh, Clone Wars, we saw General Grievous as his complete badass. I mean, yeah. he was someone that the Jedi actually feared. He was someone that could take on a Mace Windu head-to-head. Mm-hmm. What we got in Revenge of the Sith, we got this nerfed-down, almost comic-relief version yeah. Of General Grievous, and it was very disappointing because we, we got no backstory to him. Come unless you saw, you know, the cartoon Clone Wars, you you had no backstory of Grievous, so yeah. you didn't know if the Jedi should fear him. You didn't know what to think of him, and he he came he came off haphazard in a way that okay, we know he kind of sort of is trained in the Jedi arts, but he doesn't really get to display it, and the way that Obi-Wan finally gets rid of him oh. was a complete disappointment. I mean, it's like, really? I, can, can I say this really quick? Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi has to be the luckiest bastard in the entire <laughs> universe. 
He has to be. Yes, yeah. The way he took out Darth Maul, the way he took out Grievous, the way he wound up creating Darth Vader, I mean, it's really, it, it was all complete luck. You know, but then again, he had the high ground, I guess, so maybe that's more on that later. But just overall with Grievous, th- there was so much more they could have done with See, in that moment, Grievous has the high ground, so. <laughs> right, right. But it, they should have set him up in the way of being the Darth Vader beta. Mm. You know, he should have been Darth Vader 1.0, but instead we got, I don't even know how to explain it, we just got another lackey. You know, you just for, got a, you got a pointless character. Yes, very pointless. Who gets punked twice and has a bad cough. Yes. This guy was set up in the Tarkovsky Clone Wars, as you say, as being the perfect Jedi hunter. In those few animated shows, he has lightning-fast reflexes, six usable limbs, multiple lightsabers, and a sadistic streak. He's utterly fearless, stalks you like the Terminator, and seems to have no weaknesses. Now, in Sith, we don't see that. We see this hunched-over, cloaked, wheezing wreck of a droid who chickens out both times he's cornered, isn't particularly fantastic at fighting, and seems more like a Charles Dickens villain, only missing his top hat and hat handlebar moustache. He's a diminished threat and seems only put there to give the Jedi something to chase. The resolution of Dooku's story seems far more warranted and it seems as much of a waste of a potentially awesome and classic character as Jango Fett and Darth Maul. But he's in there for a very specific reason. Maul, Dooku and Grievous represent three shadows of what Vader's going to become. There's the relentless stalking figure of Doom, the manipulative mocking figurehead of military might and the broken half-organic half-machine that never fails to disappoint Palpatine. But each of these characters could have been fleshed out to be more than just symbols. Also a small point, but Grievous's internal organs are still functioning only barely, so why does he launch himself into space and survive? If he's coughing, then he has to breathe. The problem here is you're trying to use logic with George Lucas in the Star Wars universe. It I know. Work. That's what we're doing. <laughs> for these whole th- we're basically throwing up logic conundrums for him for six episodes, and that doesn't work. These are not, these are not Star Trek. They, he doesn't like, explain like- himself. So, Paris, you had a very particular reaction to Count Dooku at the moment after Anakin brings him to his knees. In the film, he just sort of stares about, dumbfounded, and then Palpatine says, Do it! it. And Anakin does. Uh, What do you think should have happened at that point? I'm so glad you brought this up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. If if I'm Count Dooku, and I've been in on this the entire time, I I know that uh, Palpatine is Darth Sidious. I know that this was all set up to test Anakin, to bring him over to our side. That's what all this has been about. When the moment of truth comes and all of a sudden Palpatine turns on me, the Darth Lord of the Sith turns on me and tells Anakin to kill me, I am snitching and singing like a bird at that point. I'm giving up all the goods. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, Anakin. This was a test. He's in on it. That is the Dark Lord of the Sith. Do not kill me. You know, this this is all wrong. But instead, what we get, we get Deku just sitting there, just staring around like, I don't, should I say anything or should I not say anything? I don't know <laughs> what to say. Say something. He's, it, he's just as dumbfounded as Darth Maul when Obi jumps over him. He's like, whoa. You, you know, because it, in, in the context of this movie, I, I guess you guys, everyone's listening is like, why did he pick this as his third favorite Star Wars movie? That actually tells you how bad the other ones were. Oh, but anyways... Man. It shows you how how many plot holes and how Lucas has no idea how to drive a story because you set up his eventual turn by planting the seed in Anakin's head right then and there that there is definitely something different about Palpatine. He is not just this weak, feeble-minded, uh, you mm. know, s- chancellor. 
maybe he is the Dark Lord of the Sith. Maybe there is something extra about him. You you never put doubt into Anakin's mind about who Palpatine is until Palpatine actually reveals himself to him. Mm. I, I just felt like it was a complete drop of the ball that they could have. And it would have been, been even better if Obi-Wan maybe overheard this. So he has doubt and he's mm. maybe now he's trying to tell Anakin, look, you're going to look too close to this Palpatine guy. There's something about him that we need to back away from. And Anakin doesn't listen and he falls down the path, you know, to turning, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But yeah, it's the whole Deku thing was just complete waste of time because what we saw of him in attack of the clones and what the little cameo we got of him in revenge of the Sith, we never got true development of his character. Mm. Why did Deku even turn to the dark side in the first place? Just while we're on Deku as well in that fight, he he picks up Obi-Wan during the fight, manages to beat them both at that point, yeah. and instead of like running a lightsaber through Obi-Wan or hurting him in any real way, he throws him across the room and then gently puts a, 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 a like a blanket over him almost. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a staircase, it's yeah. like he's out of it. Exactly, and then of course you find out it's not really on top of him anyway, and he's fine. But you'd think that Palpatine would be like, kill Obi-Wan, he needs to be away from Obi-Wan. But, and he'd be like, right, okay, so I kill Obi-Wan then first, okay. Well, the whole point of that fight is for Dooku to kill Obi-Wan to cause a trauma to you'd Anakin to turn him over. Palpatine wins either way. If Anakin goes mental and, and kills Dooku in a rage as a result of that, he's won. Now, Kitten, if I throw this in here as well, and I don't know if this should have happened in Attack of the Clones or they should have tried to get this in at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, but mm. we should have had a scene with Dooku knowing that Pal- basically setting up the scenario where Sidious is talking to him as Palpatine. So we as the audience, because look, as the audience, we're not dumb. We, we understand what's going on here, but they should have painted a picture of showing that, okay, Deku is actually in on this. They never truly explain that to us in either movie, but we know he is. He has to be in on this. But he's not stupid. Right. But then again, everyone in this, these films seems to be stupid. There was a really great bit in uh, Remember When where you mentioned that Dooku needs to look at Anakin, look at uh, Palpatine, and, and then just go very calm and go, you know, this will be you one day, boy. Beware this man. He will betray you. No, absolutely. That's what I mean. When when the moment of truth comes there, if Dooku knows he's going to die, he might as well give Anakin some type of warning. Mm. And, and we don't get that. It's like where his character was literally underwritten. He had nothing to say or feel at that point. So uh, Christopher Lee was just like, well, I guess I'll just go. Whoa. One of the worst parts of that sequence is uh, the fact that both Obi-Wan and um, Anakin have been beaten by him once mm. already in, in Attack of the Clones. But the, the sheer amount of arrogance they show when they show up, the sheer amount. Obi-Wan's like, oh, the dark Sith Lords are our speciality. And then Anakin's like, oh, I've become twice <laughs> as powerful as I was before. I'm going to kick your ass. And it, you, you've already been beaten by this guy once. <laughs> Just the, there's, there's no trepidation in them at all. They're completely like, oh, we're going to win. And he barely beat Darth Maul the first time. If, if anything's uh, a truth, Jedi are Sith Lords speciality. Sith Lords take out Jedi all the time. In the well, case of Sidious, in like a second, third best lightsaber fighter in the universe. Well, what they sh- this is what they should have done. They should have had, when they get went in there with the coup, they should have had Obi-Wan go, okay, Anakin, you rush at him. I'm going to go up on the high ground. Punk <laughs> <laughs> him. Okay, right. So I actually don't have that much written down for this. Uh, everything up to the point where um, the Jedi go to arrest Palpatine. Because to me, the, the, the first part of the film is really slow and just plods along and nothing much happens. It's a lot of political intrigue. The, there's a, the good bits basically involve Anakin being seduced very quietly by Palpatine. 
Um, but again, I haven't really got much to say because it's good. But that's about all I can say. Well, here's some well, here's some points. Um, here the, the chatting between Obi and Anakin before they even arrive at that battle with Count Dooku is disgusting. They hate each other. Mm. Obi, like Anakin's continually trying to help Obi, and Obi's continuing to go, "Why are you doing that? Stop doing that!" Oh, and then like <laughs> huffing and puffing as Anakin's trying to save him to blast the droids off his ship. He's being very grumpy. Yep. And then, <laughs> and then we have the point where R2 takes on battle droids by himself. There's a bit in uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theater where, after burning the droids alive, R2 rips the heart out of one of them and eats it. <laughs> it's like it's so uh, overly brutal from this gentle little R2 unit. You're like, now nah, that's somewhat out of character. If you think about it, R2. D2 is the, the biggest badass in the entire universe because he's indestructible. Yeah. There's there's no situation that R2-D2 has ever put in in any of these Star Wars movies that he cannot get out of. What are those super battle droids made out of anyway? Are they made out of plastic so when he exactly. barbecues them they just melt? Because I thought they were big Durasteel stuff that fire's probably not going to hurt. Actually, I did think about this. That Why are they still making regular battle droids? Oh yeah, they're just Jedi fodder. It's like they're, they're rubbish against them. You know what they what works against Jedi? Droid deckers. They should have just deployed seven hundred of those things. They'd have won the Clone Wars. They should not have done the Phantom Menace the way they should have. And like I said, Attack of the Clones should have been the first movie, right? Oh, yeah. Second movie should have been well. Some of the events in Attack of the Clones, it as itself, it doesn't work as a movie. No, no, it does not. <laughs> Trust me, it does it's not. It's a bridge, and not a right. good bridge either. The second movie should have been The Clone Wars itself. That's mm. everything it should have been. And at the end of that second movie, mm. Anakin turns to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. Third movie, as still the man Anakin, he hunts and takes down the Jedi. He, Jedi I guess, Obi Wan gets the high ground at the end and he puts on the suit into the movie. You know? So, no, actually, no, hang on. I would want to see Vader fully suited and booted for episode three. I want, you know, we were waiting for that to happen, and we get about one minute of it. Now, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that, because I, I heard you say that, too, because I thought about it, and if we had to completely suit it for the entire movie, and that was suited Vader actually hunting down the Jedi, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's half robot, he's slowed down at this point, I oh, think it's right. more effective. I think it's more effective that the culmination of everything is that final confrontation with him, him and Obi-Wan, mm. and it is Obi-Wan's fault that he's in the suit, which further enhances his anger and his hatred towards him and completely pushes him to the dark side. Okay, how about a compromise that um, when he becomes Vader, like, you know, before he's suited, that he gets maimed a little bit more, so he's being kept alive in some way by, by machinery, so it's, it's like a slow crawl there as opposed to just one big event. No, that I do agree with. It, it, it's kind of like he should have slowly but surely started leading towards the suit mm. to eventually he, he's completely dependent on the suit. Yeah. Maybe have like little bits of the suit that he's wearing. Like, you know, basically be wearing most of it apart from the breathing apparatus. Yeah. OK. The other thing I really wanted to see, I love the architecture and the, and the design of everything in the original trilogy. Specifically, the Empire stuff would have been great to basically have a lot of that. They Because they bring back the Tantive Four. You get some of that in, um, that's the uh, ship at the beginning of the first Star Wars that's being chased by the Star Destroyer. Because it's in episode three, you get like that corridor, that shiny white corridor with the smooth corners. And it's, it's like, oh my god, I'm actually watching Star Wars at long last. It's caught up with itself. More of that would have been great. Maybe. Maybe. Because <laughs> you just love the prequel architecture so much. Well, oh, I hate so memorable. the prequels. I mean, I've got loads of problems with the prequels. Like, for a start, I know this is a bit later on. Shall we talk about the magic pregnancy? 
Uh, yeah, go on. Magic pregnancy. So, about what? Just after we get past the beginning <laughs> battle, we find out that She's Padme pregnant. is pregnant. The and gestation then, like, period for Nabooans is only three weeks. <laughs> Apparently, yes, because at the end of the movie, she's given birth to two healthy twins. Yeah. And she's not showing throughout any point of the film. Except yes. by the very end, when she gets on a plane to sneak off and go see Anakin, she puts on an outfit that really shows it. Maybe and she's just really good at disguising it. And, and then just be really mean and cruel. They, like, stick a balloon in her for a funeral or something so she looks like she's still pregnant. That's to fool Vader, because if he watches bits of um, the, the footage of the funeral, he'll be like, hang on, she's not pregnant. What happened to the kid? That makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't, if you were there, you'd go, hang on, why is she showing that she's pregnant? She's not looked like that for the past couple of weeks. Before we go into the uh, the, the confrontation scene, um, mm. one other thing is that we, we already touched on it, but how uh, Obi takes care of Grievous is the, just the most disappointing battle throughout the entire six series, in my opinion. Oh, yeah? Because he beats him with what? A blaster. Right. Clumsy and random. And what happens to his lightsaber? He loses he, it. He loses it. He loses it. It doesn't get knocked out of his hand. He's riding on the back of that, big, uh, that, that creature. Lizard and he thing. drops it. He drops his lightsaber. Oh, but this is following his clever plan, right? He's, he's got this clone <laughs> army at his back, and he's like, no, 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 I shall go and sneak in on a lizard, a giant lizard, bear with me, and I'm going to go, I'm going to find Grievous, and my plan is, I'm going to drop down in the middle of his army and go, hello there, <laughs> and, and I'll win. What? That's not a plan. And I then after Grievous has become like a, a, a lightsaber sprinkler system, um, the, the clone army turn up. How about bring a, a contingent of commandos with you and snipe the shit out of him? <laughs> he's, ju- he's not a Jedi. He's a droid. Just, just snipe him. You have snipers in there. Going, going back to, to, the, to the fight with, with Grievous and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Obi, Obi-Wan, like you mentioned, he lost the lightsaber. Couldn't he just use the Force and grab it back and put it yeah. on his side? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, is, is, what happened to this lightsaber is your life. Yes. It, again, Lucas does things when it's convenient. Mm. And, and that's that's the big problem with all of all of these movies except the first two. Yeah. Where Lucas, well, if I want to do this, I'll do it. If I don't, you know, I won't. I, I change things as I deem fit. That was the failing of this movie, and that was really the failing of Attack of the Clones, is they use the force as a convenience a narrative contrivance right instead of it being what it is and the rules are set in place the rules can be bent or broken when they need it to be yeah basically the force is the MacGuffin yeah force can do whatever we want it to do The most subtle moment in the prequels comes as Mace is heading to bring in Palpatine. The sound effects fades away and the music becomes hauntingly quiet. Amidala worries about Anakin, he worries about her and himself, and the inexorable pull of his fate is sealed the moment he gets in his ship to go and rescue Palpatine. He knows deep down that it's the wrong thing to do, but he does it anyway for love, because when he talks to the Jedi about Amidala dying, their response did not please him. To the Jedi, death is part of life. To the Sith, it appears to be something they wish to control, and that is the gulf that separates the two faiths. 
So, Paris, Samuel L. Jackson assured us before Revenge of the Sith that his character of Mace Windu would not be going out like a punk. Was he misinformed? <laughs> uh, I think he was. I, I, I really think he was. Uh, if, if we just want to jump into that scene as a whole, it starts off fantastic. Mm. I mean, you know, here, here's the Jedi rolling in like some badasses, three of them. You know, oh my God. Chancellor, you are under arrest. And, you know, they fire up the lightsabers. You're thinking, oh, man, it is <laughs> about to be so. on. You know, this is going to be awesome. What happened was George Lucas envisioned this in his head, but then he forgot Samuel Jackson's pushing 60 and Herman's <laughs> pushing 70-something. This isn't going to work the way I thought. Like, like I, you know, I always joke around when Palpatine jumps behind the desk, he jumps up like he's M. Bison from, <laughs> you know, because they have to use the CGI to make it work. And- Psycho Crusher! <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, you have these other two Jedi, which are supposed to be two of the best lightsaber wielders in the galaxy, right? They're That's, taken out in two seconds. Yeah. And do you see how they're taken out? Three Jedi. CC10. I think it's Eth Carthby. He's definitely the same species. And, of course, Kit Fister. The, the yeah. first two are taken out, stand still, uh, while he lines up his, his, his stab, and they don't even try and block it. He just stabs them. They just stand there. I. What? There's a bit at the end of Seven where they're getting ready to go with John Doe, and Morgan Freeman turns to Brad Pitt and says, if John Doe's head splits open and a UFO flies out, I want you to have expected it. Don't you think when they're going to arrest who they suspect to be the Sith Lord, Samuel L. Jackson would have said something like exactly like that in the lift? This guy could do anything. We haven't faced a Sith in decades. But they don't suspect he's the Sith Lord. Anakin tells them, he's the Sith Lord! <laughs> Well, expect a badass. Going back to Samuel Jackson. All right. So now him and Palpatine fight. And I'm still of the belief Palpatine lets him get the upper hand because he knows Anakin's on his way. So he knows this is now his opportunity to make and have Anakin make a choice. Pretty risky, though, because he could lose everything. But see, I I, I truly think and and I've watched the scene a million times. I think. Palpatine has to have a plan. So I think Palpatine is in control. I, I think at no point would Palpatine have allowed Mace Windu to strike him down, hmm. in my personal opinion. Because everything we've seen of the Emperor, he could have easily thrown some force lighting at, at him and, hmm. and, and blocked it or, or something, right? So I don't think Palpatine was truly in the danger that he let himself be in. I think he allowed himself to be shown in a point of weakness to get Anakin to make a choice. So, okay, Anakin makes his choice, and and I still say to this day, Anakin simply taking off the hand was a mistake. Mm. Anakin should have struck Mace Windu down. Yeah. Because at that point, now he's gone. He's gone to the point of no return. At this point, he has now killed another Jedi. Instead of letting Palpatine do it, because and that was the other thing, and I know I've said this on my podcast, is that Palpatine at no point should have shown his true power to Anakin. Mm. As far as Anakin was concerned, Palpatine was a feeble, weak old man, and he was going on the faith that Palpatine was going to help him save Padme. And that was the only reason he decided to, you know, to go to him and submit to him. But by Palpatine actually showing that he's more powerful than we've seen. And Anakin not actually being the one to strike down another Jedi, mm. to me, it, to me, it, it's all his his complete fall to the dark side was so rushed mm. in that movie. 
He goes yeah. from maiming one Jedi to murdering children in like yes. the space of a few minutes. It's like that. Right. Yeah. Which is crazy. We've got we've had three episodes for this turn to happen, and it mm-hmm. turn, happens in the space of a minute where he goes, uh, "Now you're a bad guy," and he basically goes, uh, uh, "Okay." Okay, I'll align myself with you. It's clearly very deceptive monster of a man. Well, I, I think, Paris, you make a good point about you saying that Palpatine, you know, lets Mace Windu get him in that position. But I think maybe you're just, that's just wishful thinking. I think it's just a happy coincidence. I very much doubt that Lucas, um, you know, directed it to, to, to look like that. Or thinks oh, that deeply not. into things. Of course not. Of course I had to do that. It's just me looking at it. <laughs> How the character, how Palpatine how? has manipulated everyone for decades to get into the position that he is. He is, he basically created Anakin to get him to this point. He, he's wanted Anakin. That's what these first two movies have been all about. So now we're at the moment of truth. I highly doubt he's going to allow chance to get him to make a choice because think about it go back to the scene before where he reveals himself to anakin anakin wields his lightsaber and he's basically saying okay strike me down if you think think that's the right thing to do do you really think at any point the dark lord of sith is going to allow this punk jedi to strike him down no freaking way oh hell no he would have done something to put anakin on his knees. He, that mirrors the bit where he's like, strike me down with all of your hatred to Luke. And it's like, you know that if the second, if Vader hadn't pulled his saber, he'd probably just have just blasted Luke backwards the second Luke actually pulled it on him. Right. That's my point. We, we've seen evidence that Palpatine basically dares people to try and kill him. When yeah. there, there's no way he's going to allow that to happen. Uh, did anyone else notice that in this film the tips of the lightsaber blades are more pointy than usual? Yes. Why would they change that in the sixth film out of six? They keep pointing it at the camera like they're expecting it to be 3D at some yeah. point. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, just my God. stumbled upon it. I've just called it. I called it. You heard it here first. That is exactly why they did that. Oh, God. Oh, you're giving me nightmares already. I mean, I'm, I, for a start, I'm not seeing the prequels again in the cinema. I've done it. I've paid my money. I mean, I'll see the the originals again, especially if they put them out in 2D as well. Might even bring my toddler along to them, depending on how soon they uh, put them yeah. out. But I'm not watching those prequels. I'm not watching any of this shit in 3D. During the seduction scene, when Anakin realizes what's been head-slappingly obvious for 13 years, that the Chancellor is the Sith Lord, and in the scenes preceding it, Ian McDermott's acting is top-notch. Yet for some reason, the second Jedi come to apprehend him and he pulls out his lightsaber, Ian gets swapped for this weird rubber creature. He bounces around like a skateboarder, grimaces and gurns like an overstimulated eight-year-old at a Halloween party, and jabbers like a total maniac. It's so disconcerting, I actually wondered if they'd switched actors the first time I saw it. It's like he's been level one of subtlety for the whole series of prequels. His coming out to Anakin bumps him up to level four, which is on parallel with the way he acts in Jedi, and during a saber battle with Mace, he lurches up to an entirely unwarranted eleven and acts like a crazy person not the coldly calculating mastermind behind a decades old takeover bit actually on the subject of bouncing I counted 16 flips in this movie it's a very simple process you take your actor in frame A and his new position in frame H and then the bits in between you substitute him with a bouncy floppy CGI model with no weight or heft whatsoever performing a unilaterally pointless and exhausting leap and somersault in midair. There are a few of those in the earlier prequels, but this film is packed way beyond the point of distraction. 
Now, one of my favourite phrases at the moment is, if you can't do it, don't do it. We don't need these jumps. And I'm watching the first few test runs. Everybody involved should have surmised, now that looks awful. And either had the actors just move swiftly but remain on the ground, or done it in the old-fashioned way and got trained stunt doubles to do the jumping, keeping it on movements designed to keep the opponent off guard rather than just look impressive. They couldn't sell that CGI flip, but they did it anyway. Dooku flips off the staircase when we know he's an ailing old man, and a simple ominous walk down the stairs would have been far more powerful because you're not having to have that little internal debate with your own brain about the switcheroo from actor to video game character. And back again. On a side note, Palpatine's melty head was shunted into this movie to explain why he looked so deformed in Return of the Jedi. Again, way too neatly tied up for a start. Palpatine is looking pretty damn old and unhealthy anyway in Sith, and 20 more years of openly wallowing in the dark side of the Force will very undoubtedly take its toll. Nobody would have objected if the Emperor had still looked like Ian McDermott at the end of the film. Secondly, the way he gets it, his own Force lightning bouncing back on him from Windu's blade, even though he could have just turned it off at any moment, he deforms himself to get Anakin to help him. Something of a nonsensical gamble, and again, the scene could easily have been played out with him just playing possum. The rubber face distances us from the character and makes him seem like more of a monster which is actually less scary than a cold-hearted old man quite capable of mass murder. Palpatine also reminds me of Cartman's ninja character of Bullrog in the South Park episode Good Times With Weapons. This doesn't seem to be the right way. My ninja sense is telling me we might be heading in the wrong direction. Okay, hang on guys. I'll use my special power to see into the future and find out where we should head next. Hold on you guys. I actually have another power. I can see into the future too but better than Cav. Let me try God damn it, Carmen, you can't keep making up powers. Yeah, dude, that's like the fifth power you've come up with. I am Bullrog, and I have lots and lots of powers. No, asshole! From now on, you only get to have one power. So what is it? I have the power to have all the powers I want. That doesn't count, fat ass! Yeah, that's it, Carmen, you don't get to have any powers. To start with, his most significant plot-centric power is a subtle cloaking ability that allows him to be under the noses of the Jedi for decades, committing fiendish machinations with only a passing suspicion, despite the fact that they realise soon enough that they're looking for someone who's good at hiding. He also has Force Lightning, plus a lightsaber, plus he can flip and weave like Tony Hawk doing Capoeira, all that, and he can take the lightning in the face at a level that kills Windu shortly afterwards, and you can toss his frail old form around the Senate and he won't break a hip or shatter his collarbone. My grandmother has difficulty negotiating her front doorstep. Aside from hubris, he appears to have no weaknesses whatsoever, and all that makes for a terrible character who ends up like a cackling Scooby-Doo villain who murders the snooping kids and their dog. What is up with his voice? What is up after after he stands up and he's got rubber face mm. and he's got this like it's like two people talking at once. Yeah, he sounds like he's Jabber. He, he's like properly like. <laughs> <laughs> it is ridiculous overacting at that. The second he puts the hood up, he's like, "Excellent, the Jedi must be wiped out." And suddenly he's the Emperor. But that bit in between, who is this guy? Yep. It's it's like they've almost gone like, "Look, it's not an ad. It's not a human. It's a monster." Because you can get away with a lot more violence if it's monster on human or human on monster. But if it's human on human, not so much. It's how Beowulf got away with it. I'm guessing well, maybe all that forced light and he just affected his brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's how I tried to justify it in my own brain, even though I know it was completely ridiculous. Hmm. Maybe Palpatine is a lot older than we realize. Uh-huh. And he, part of his reveal, part of him actually using his dark side of the force powers shows his true self right and maybe he's just a lot older than we thought again i'm just trying to justify it in my (laughs) brain the whole thing is ridiculous i mean we understand that i would like to know actually now that you mentioned that that makes sense and it does it makes sense especially when you think back to the conversation 
that he has with Anakin, is it at the sort of the opera ball? Yeah, just the wise. Because he basically also he also admits there that he created Anakin. Mm. Well, he doesn't yeah. admit it. It's subtly there. Yeah, yeah, subtlety. Well, like for the first time in the prequels, it's there. But also he talks about uh, the the legend of Darth Plagueis. If it only happened like thirty, forty years ago, it's not exactly a legend, especially if there's only like one Sith. <laughs> so maybe it was hundreds of years ago. Maybe he's well old. I mean, because you think about it in this world, I mean, we know Yoda is hundreds of years old. Yeah. So why couldn't the Dark Lord of Sith also be hundreds of years old? Yeah. I like I like your rationalization, Paris, but that rubber face is over the top. He doesn't it even is. look no, like the em- he doesn't even look like the Emperor from the original trilogy at that <laughs> point. He just has this weird. Yeah, basically. It probably would have been better if they kept the hood way up on it as well. Yeah. Well, well, no. Now, now you also understand the reason for him wearing the hood is that when he has to fight Yoda, those are two CG characters. It made it a lot easier to do it. So it was for convenience. Ah, yes. Go to the Jedi Temple. Do what must be done. Master Skywalker, what's going on? All of you line up, oldest to youngest. What for, sir? Um... A treat. A treat. Oh, a treat. Um, uh, everyone just uh, uh, close your eyes real tight and put your fingers in your ears. No peeking. Mr. Skywalker, can my treat just be a hug? You can do this, Anakin. Just, just go to your happy place. Oh, I'll remember the fields of Naboo where you fell in love. The biggest mistake in this film is to have Anakin's reactions being impossible to understand. He betrays the Council, assists in killing Mace Windu, and then willingly slays Jedi children and librarians, ostensibly to glean the entirely hypothetical knowledge of how to keep Padme alive. Nobody can relate to that. If, however, her death in childbirth had been what sent him over the edge in the first place... I think most of us can only imagine what a horrible, empty place the world would be without the people we love. And if we were leaning towards a dark descent beforehand, that would send us over the edge. If that darkness had been what made the Jedi keep the existence of Luke and Leia from him, and if he'd found out later that at least Luke was alive, then he would have been again somewhat justified in seeking revenge. So at the point when he kills children, for reasons that don't seem to be justified enough, the tragedy of his story evaporates, and at least I was just left thinking, what an utter shit, what a spineless wanker. Because we don't see him fighting full adult Jedi, we only sort of hear about it. So it's it's not like he's this complete hard-ass, it's like he's going to pick on the children and let the clones do the rest of the work. We We hear that he's been killing Jedi, we don't see it. I hated him when he was 10, I hated him when he was 19, and now he's 22, I actually have a good reason to hate him. I just want to ask Lucas why he felt telling us the story in this matter would deepen and explain Darth Vader. If anything, it makes him a totally different character. When he goes into the armor and we say goodbye to Anakin, I always breathe a sigh of relief and tremble in anticipation for the first breath, because that means the real character is born. Hey, he's a genocidal maniac, but he does it with such style and charisma. 
That child-butchering Yahoo, unable to deliver a single line with conviction, died back on Mustafar. Yeah, the big help there is the fact it stops being Hayden Christensen and switches over to... James L. Jones. <laughs> Thank you. Even though it's Hayden in the suit. I think they should have brought back David Prowse. Wasn't he, isn't he bitter at this point? Yeah. He probably didn't want to do it. No, no, yeah. but he's bitter because they didn't ask him back. Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah, no, he, he got really... He was like... They didn't even call him to say, I mean, what do you say in the phone call? Hey, David, guess who's not playing Darth Vader and Seth? That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of sticking it in. Okay, so that, that leads me to another question for you guys. When, in your opinion, is Anakin actually Darth Vader? Okay, his whole turn, his whole basis on turning to the dark side was to save Padme. Um, he's going on the belief and faith of what Palpatine told him earlier that he has the knowledge to save her, right? Hmm. When he turns and gives himself over to Palpatine, now Palpatine flips it and says, well, if we work together, I'm sure we can figure it out. At that point, That's I, I, bullshit. I, yeah, I fire up my lightsaber and I cut Palpatine's head off right there on the spot because oh, yeah. right there he lied to you. Dude, he's the dark lord of the Sith. Why at any point would you believe what he says? And in which case, it, it weakens any argument that Anakin's doing it for love because it's I, like any fool could tell you this guy's fucking you over. Yeah. I'm sorry, at this point, we've already established, as powerful as Anakin's supposed to be, he's an idiot. Yes. He's, he's, not an, he's not an intelligent person. He really well, look at his son. Look at his son. Luke's not the brightest bulb in the <laughs> socket either. Oh, but he's Socrates in comparison to Anakin. <laughs> it, it's quite clear in that family that Leia got all the brains. <laughs> Literally. And that's probably because she was brought up by Bail Organa, who somehow is a very, very, is the second luckiest bastard in the Star yeah. Wars film. Bail Organa and Queen Amidala, the, the senators representing Naboo and Alderaan, have, have confronted with the Emperor going, right, we're an empire now, and everyone going, yay, I mean, that, I don't even think that's how politics works. No. Don't you have to, like, bring whole, whole worlds under your thrall to become an empire? But anyway, you, you, Let's pretend that I know nothing about politics and George doesn't either. Let's say that Palpatine says we're an empire now. All it takes is for one dissenting voice to go, hang on, what if we don't want to be an empire? And yet they just go, so this is how liberty dies, to the sound of thunder or something. Speak up! Yeah, but she was only a walking womb in this movie, yes. so she really had nothing else to do. See, you said that you think that she and George fell out, and he was like, he bitch slapped her down, was like, right, I'm going to make sure your character does nothing in this film. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the rumor going back to Phantom Menace that mm. that her and George really butted heads. And at one point, he wanted to completely replace her with Kira Knightley, who who, who played one of her, she, you know, her yeah. doubles or whatever in Phantom Menace. Yeah. Um, and then I guess because she was a a name at the time, they didn't want to get rid of her. But yeah, it, George, it, I mean, it's very apparent that George either a had no idea what to do with her in the third movie, or was punishing her. You know, I actually think Keira Knightley would have been a better actress in these I films. I do too. I think I that Natalie too. Portman was like, right, I'll do these lines, but I'm not going to act with them. She just sort of bleats through all of them. She's not having a good time at no, all. No, not not at all. But that, that's what I mean. You like Natalie Portman is a good is she's a good actress. Mm. I mean, we well, she's that. great. Yeah. But she probably looked at those lines and was like, "Are you kidding? That I'm pretty sure that's what it was." She was like, "Really? You want me to do what?" To be angry okay. is to be human. Yeah. We live in a real world. Come back to it. That's, I, I, that's why I really wish I was on your Attack of the Clones one. Because I'm sorry, I, man. I, I would have ripped her and Hayden Christian's romance a new one. I mean, oh, you know what? If you want, you can take it now and I will edit it in. They have <laughs> I can, I can at least 2.0. 
Plus Paris. Paris. A Paris. special Paris. edition! <laughs> Paris wasn't in it before, now he is. He's Paris. turning into George Paris. Lucas, kill him! <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll destroy the original version so no one can listen to it. <laughs> Paris. Make it 3D. You gotta oh, make Paris. it 3D too. Paris, you, you're missing something. They'd still have the romance moments in this. They have a Romeo and Juliet part where oh, he's like, don't, oh, you're no. so beautiful! Oh, you're no, a no, because no. You're, Can because I point... <laughs> so the first time I went to the cinema to watch this movie, it got to that point, to that speech, and I went, that's it, I'm out of here, and walked out. <laughs> okay, it, nope. <laughs> just, oh my god! N- nobody's answered my question. You. No, it's because I love you. is oh, no. Anakin Darth Vader? <laughs> anyway, uh, where is it? when is Anakin Darth Vader? Whenever. Never. Never. <laughs> Good point. He's not in this film. Darth Vader, as much as he's in that, like, you see, visually see him, and you hear his voice, he is not in this film. Wow. Paris? You, well, actually, I take it back. He's on the bridge of that ship right at the end. Yeah, when he yes. folds his arms and he's looking at the uh, constructing Death, Death Star. Sorry. Yeah, Paris. When when is Anakin Darth Vader to you? He's Darth Vader. That's a really good question. I mean, the Emperor says, I call you Darth. And he looks around the room and he could have been Darth Stapler. It's like, uh, Darth uh, Vader. But I don't I'm, buy it I'm at that point. To, I don't I'm think he's Darth Vader. I'm going to say the way this movie played out, he is Darth Vader when Palpatine names him Darth Vader because he's really done nothing after that to go, okay, now that was the point where he completely fell over to the dark side. I mean, as far as we're concerned, just by Palpatine saying, hey, you're with me now. You're evil now. Yeah, he completely turns evil. I mean, that's how ludicrous it is. There was – see – and, and I know we want to get into – we're going to get into the um, Obi-Wan Anakin fight, but I'll just simply say this here. I've always been under the contention that instead of doing this ridiculous it's the high ground stuff, it should have been that Anakin had a moment of weakness because he had not completely given himself over yet, and this was his best friend and mentor, mm. and he couldn't bring himself to kill him. And Obi-Wan – and as we know, when Obi-Wan gets an opening, Obi-Wan takes advantage, and then Obi-Wan – would have struck him down somehow, and oh. that is how he became Darth Vader, yeah. and that would have fueled his hatred and anger towards him even more. That, have been hey, that. Also, that it makes him more of a sympathetic character. Yep. Yes, exactly. Because you're like, oh, you know what? There was still good in him. He was letting go, and, and Obi-Wan's the one who struck him down. But I think that would just have, in Lucas's eyes, would just have complicated things. Well, it complicates things because there is no good in him. We've seen that. Like, he killed the younglings. It was his first order of business. And, yeah. th- like, later on, and it, it does, it breaks what Vader is in my mind. It hurts. This is why I hate this film by far the most, because it breaks what Vader is to me and the rest of the mm. films. There is still good in him. No, there fucking isn't. I think you, you can't murder children and then have everyone go, oh, well, you know, he's a great character. I mean, no. Seriously. I mean, yeah. Even Garland Green in Con Air, you hear that he killed chil- children in the past, but he doesn't actually murder the little girl. And you think, oh, he's a character, that Garland Green. I would even add in that the Jedi themselves are full of shit with this whole, you know, the good side and the dark side, because mm. Mace Windu was clearly channeling into the dark side oh, yeah. and he was going to murder Palpatine instead of arrest him. Well, and Geek stopped him. Geek crown on. Mace Windu is the sole practitioner of the only lightsaber form that actually uses dark side abilities. And basically it's very aggressive. Right. Which is why he kept doing that, come on, like spreading his arms out like a predator whenever uh, Palpatine was fighting him, basically leaving himself open. Okay, I've been thinking more about Anakin's balancing of the Force, and I've reached the decision that it gets balanced twice. Once by Anakin, but that's not in Episode 3. 
the balance in episode three is almost entirely brought about by Palpatine. Order 66, which sees the clones murdering the dispersed Jedi en masse, effectively reducing the Jedi count to two, Yoda and Obi-Wan. Now, while Anakin may have helped with that and killed a few kids and librarians, make no mistake that it was Palpatine who orchestrated the attack. Anakin is just a tool in more ways than one. Would you attribute the magic bullet that shot Kennedy for the sudden upheaval of the American government in the late 60s? So Palpatine there forcibly caused the shift in power that balanced the light and dark sides. The second balance happens at the end of Return of the Jedi, when Vader flings the Emperor down the shaft on the second Death Star, effectively reducing the number of Sith to one, himself, and thereby balancing against Luke, the last remaining Jedi. But the balance is short-lived as Vader dies shortly afterwards and Leia eventually has the potential to be a Jedi too, no matter if you read the expanded universe or not. The Sith disappear from the galaxy at that point too for quite some time. I don't know what George thinks is balancing the Force. It's never really explained, because there's several bits that could be considered that. Well, Obi-Wan says it himself, doesn't he, when uh, Anakin's down. You, you, you were supposed to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in Taz. Darkness. Oh, darkness. Damn it. I, I got the high ground. Even, even, the, <laughs> even the characters themselves within the fil- the context of the films don't even seem to know. Even, like, Yoda says maybe it was misread, you know? It, mm. the, nobody seems to understand this this prophecy at all. I mean, okay, right, here's just a, a, a different alternative. Rather than just going into the library and killing children, you see Anakin go into the temple and just carve up Jedi you know, like, like you know, tw- maybe 20 Jedi all start pulling out the lightsabers and start bearing down on him. And he goes Darth Maul on them. You're like, wow, this guy really does have massive potential to be this awesome Sith Lord. So then when he gets maimed to the point of nothing by Obi-Wan, you're like, wow, that really was potential lost. And also you get to see Anakin being a badass. And yeah, he kills a bunch of Jedi, but they're in like unnamed Jedi. So, you know, he, you know how Kit Fisto and company all just go out like that. That should have been a lot of like people like that should have been who Anakin went up against proper swordsman it could have been a fantastic fight we've never seen one jedi fight off a whole load of others um and then basically when he walks out of there the whole place could have gone up in flames so you're like oh i suppose the kids were in there so no one would have asked what happened to the kids or you yeah. even have the stormtroopers killing the kids or something or taking them off to a room and closing the door and you see anakin <laughs> turn away with shame in his face or something to go oh, I, look there I, actually honest- still is good there yeah maybe I honestly don't both of those have- are better than uh, what lucas did uh, uh, with most things in the in, in the prequels, like the Metachlorians, like um, the Emperor's face, it's one of those things we didn't need to be told. Yeah. We didn't. We we yeah. would have assumed that they killed all the Jedi, young or old, whatever. We just that was the assumption. We but, didn't need to see yeah. it. But specifically showing Anakin actually doing the killing, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was sad because I thought that there'd be something still left in him that made him like really. I mean, he cries later on, but he's not really acting with it. Okay, so, we're at that point. What did we think of the Obi-Wan-Anakin fight? I'm going to r- race in here straight, straight go, away. And go, go, quick. The first part of that fight was great. I liked it. They were, like, they were properly battling. It was a good duel to begin with. Yes, there was lots of prancing and pointless saber twirling, but 
it was a good fight before they left the rooms and started balancing on stupid little beams and, and surfing lava. Doing the Errol Flynn stuff. And that's, that's, I will leave it at that. I thought it was a good fight to begin with, and then the rest I will leave to you people. I kind of echo there. Um, the first half of that fight is pretty good. It's not brutal enough, but yeah, it's a good fight to start with. But I'm thinking that, you know, there's Anakin, uh, no, sorry, Darth Vader, light, um, wanting to be going ah I'm going to kill kill you now you, this is all your fault Padme's dead I'm going to kill you I thought he'd be a lot more brutal a lot more savage and he's not I kind of would have liked to see Anakin with a red lightsaber and watching it again today it's like when I was when I first saw it I thought no 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 it's perfect because basically blue versus blue seems wrong it's like Jedi versus Jedi that shouldn't be but now that I think about it Anakin was a, an no, that's evil a, twat. That's, that's a given. It has to be the blue lightsaber because who gets the lightsaber in the end? Oh, they could have who? explained that away with uh, he walks to, to Anakin's ship and he sees Anakin's like old lightsaber discarded inside or something. I don't know. That could be explained away in a moment. The other thing about the fact that his lightsaber is the one that gets passed on to Luke is that that's a lightsaber that slayed children. And in the, symbo- in the symbolic sense, if that was a sword, that would be a cursed sword. It has committed horrendous murders that should never have occurred. So when Luke touches it, it should taint him with the dark side. So, yeah, basically, Anakin, when he goes to kill kids, red lightsaber. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't know. It's, it's only a small thing, but I think blue versus red would have been more symbolic. As it is, it's a bit confusing when you're watching. You're like, well, hang on, who's doing what? They're just whirling these lightsabers all over the place. Well, the thing is, at that point, they're both on level ground with each other, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Paris, what's wrong with having the high ground? <laughs> but before I answer the high ground, um, I, I, I'm in the contention it should have been a red lightsaber versus a blue, and like you said, they could have explained it away to keep continuity. Say, it is your new lightsaber I have prepared for you. Easy. But we don't, but we don't even see him with a red lightsaber until he fires it up against Obi-Wan. Like, you, that could have been this big dramatic moment, like, a kind yeah. of symbol that... It's like, oh, now he's Sith. Yeah, you'd have yeah, been like... Yeah, that now he's a Sith. So yeah. I, I think, again, Lucas dropped the ball on something. But... I agree with, with the first part. The first half of the fight is fantastic because I, I love the raw emotion of it. Like, here's two old friends basically fighting to the death there. So I'm like, okay, this is great. I love it. Then the high ground happened. <laughs> and to just to say it's like the first time I watched it, I go, okay, you're up high. He's down low. What does that matter? You're Jedi. You're the baddest beings on the, on the galaxy. You can here's jump a hundred feet in the air, you know. You know, and then my second thought was, didn't Darth Maul have the high ground? <laughs> and know? Grievous at this point? Yeah. So it, it made no sense. And again, he could have taken a different way of explaining how Anakin, you know, how Obi-Wan defeated Anakin. And like I said, you could have had a, you could have had a couple different scenarios where Anakin shows a sign, a sign of hesitation because of who Obi-Wan is. Obi-Wan takes advantage, like he always does, and strikes him down. Or you could have had a scenario where, all right, they're on Mustafar, everything's exploding and blowing up and all this kind of stuff. What if Anakin fell into a position where he needed Obi-Wan's help? And, and, and again, since these Jedi are full of it, Obi-Wan shows a slight pinch of dark sideness himself and refuses to help him, and Anakin quote-unquote falls to his death but then again he's a jedi so he shouldn't that shouldn't happen but having it hey anakin i have the high ground don't try it or i'm gonna cut you down and he does it was crazy 
It was absolutely crazy. Anakin should have done like a freaking 360 triple jump flip and got behind Obi-Wan. And okay, now we're in level ground. Now what's your point? <laughs> the point is, he has 101 different tactical options. It's over, Anakin! I have the Moral. high ground! He didn't even have to go at him. He could have just, you know, gone sideways or anything. He could have jumped backwards. Oh, hey, how, uh, how about this one? Use the force, pull some of the lava out of the thing, and throw it at him. Or, you know? When he jumps at Obi-Wan, everyone could just have flung him backwards using the force. It's like, you know, you're jumping in there, but, oh, guess what? What happens when you fall back down again? There's a moment after the high ground incident when both McGregor and Christensen do their best acting in the prequels. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy this and not join them! Bring balance to the Force! Not leave it in darkness! a really nice juxtaposition of their opposing approaches. A darker and more fascinating moment that passed them by would have been Anakin giving in, realising that he had become nothing more than a monster and following the utter ruination of his body, directly asking Obi-Wan to kill him. Obi would decline, seemingly to the kids, out of heroic unwillingness to actually strike the finishing blow on his friend, but with the creeping subtext of just leaving him to lie in the flaming bed he has made. This refusal could then ignite a cold hatred in Anakin that keeps him alive long enough to be rescued by the Emperor and put in the Vader suit. Now, you make a good point there, uh, and I wanted to mention it, was the fact that he just leaves him to burn. He doesn't put him out of his misery. He mm. doesn't rescue him. He leaves him to burn. He, did, he does kind of do exactly what I, I, I'm saying there. But specifically, Anakin doesn't say, kill me. No, but the but point is that like, he just leaves him. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He's just, you know, like, if it was your friend and you saw them burning, like, even if you had regret, you would put them out of their misery. Uh, he goes, I'm about this bitch. Peace. <laughs> See ya. In these films, Lucas can't have characters beaten down and killed. He, or at least he doesn't write it that way. He doesn't have people weakening and taking d damage. People get killed suddenly because they have a lapse in judgment or because of, of some lucky moment or something like that. People don't get beaten to death or, or sliced to death. You know, basically the Mace versus um, Palpatine fight should have ended in horrendous amounts of bloodshed between the two of them. But um, it doesn't because you have to have it acceptable for the kids. Well, geek moment in the book. I think Anakin actually does decapitate Mace Windu. In the book, yep. in the that would have been better. That must have been what was originally there. It is because the book's based on the original screenplay. So, yeah. What you mean the first draft? This was <laughs> like the second draft. Really, I thought it was draft one point five. Any more on the Anakin Obi Wan fight? Uh, it gets a bit boring as well. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It goes on and on, on and on and on. Because I, I was sort of expecting a similar fight. You, you remember that moment in Jedi where Luke just snaps? Goes mental. And just starts wailing on Darth Vader. In that fantastic Star Wars film Jedi. <laughs> I was half fantastic. <laughs> I was half expecting something like that in that fight. With <laughs> either Obi-Wan snapping or Anakin. One of them snapping. Yeah. 
And that being the cause. But they're so calm and controlled the whole way through. Actually, as, as much as I love his, his choreography, Nick Gillard is a lot to blame for this. The, uh, the stunt choreographer for the, uh, prequels. Lucas doesn't know how to choreograph a fight. He left it all to Nick Gillard. And Nick was very much intent on, on showing these guys as being masters of their craft and basically very calmly, uh, being able to put their sabers in exactly the right place. That's not what a fight is. That's not really combat. That's a dance. Effectively, yeah. they're, they're doing a very highly choreographed dance. Every single saber combat uh, in, in, the, in the prequels is a dance. And it's, that's great to look at. But the emotion, even for this last one, because they're too busy twirling, you know, it's uh, maybe maybe just calm down on the twirling. And the, just the reason why the fighting in Batman Begins works brilliantly and feels really visceral even though it's less showy is because it's it was this brand new martial art creator called casey where it's the most economical movements you can figure out in a very short distance to actually take out people there's no flipping and spinning and doing like sweep kicks sweep the leg it's it's all basically just elbows and knees just kicking people's asses in really quick succession jason bourne the way he fights is, is really economical fighting the jedi it's it's like a kung fu movie it's like you know this is spectacular if if i can jump in for a second yeah go yeah you you ruined the phantom menace uh fight for me with i'm sorry because i i i honestly never thought about it basically just being this well choreographed dance so if i go watch it now that's all i'm going to think about and Mm. it's virtually what I would say the second half of the Anakin Obi Wan fight became because remember it started off with just kind of just raw emotion yeah, yeah. And, and they were just kind of like you're saying it was kind of like Luke going mental and mm. they were just wailing on each other but then it turned into like a dance mm. and, and it's like now when I look at it it's like ugh yeah <laughs> you ruined the other thing the other thing at the start of that fight is we, we've been told from the start that Anakin's meant to be you know uber powerful yet when we get to the Obi Wan fight there's the scene where they lock sabers and then both try to do the force, force push, force push. Yeah. and yeah. they seem to be even. Exactly even. So what the hell? Well, well, that's something I've contended too. Going back to uh, the uh, the Mace Windu uh, Palpatine fight, I thought it would have been even. It would have been badass if Palpatine never had a, a lightsaber. Those three Jedi walk in, and he just uses the force and just wails them around the room. Yeah. And while he's just sitting there using minimal effort, I think that would have shown how powerful this dude really is, you know, instead of him, instead of, see, in my opinion, Mace Windu should not have been on the level of Palpatine. Mm. He shouldn't, even Yoda, in my opinion, should not have been on the level of Palpatine. Palpatine should have been the most powerful figure in that entire movie, and he should have done it with minimal effort, because the whole point was, he's the Dark Lord of the Sith, he, he, all he wants is Anakin to be his apprentice, not his equal. And Yoda nor Mace Windu should have been his equal. He sh- again, Palpatine should have never shown his power to Anakin. We we should have just seen minimal. Like I say that because then if you if you're watching this trilogy in order, mm. when Palpatine uses Force Lightning on Luke, that's a surprise. You're He's already seen Dooku using Force Lightning on him actually, so he'd be like, well, he could probably do that shit. But he'd never know. You're right, actually. If the Emperor never shows his hand to Anakin, then there's always this sense of don't fuck with me, kid. It's 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 within the Sith doctrine effectively to try to murder your master. That's what they respect. But, yeah, no, he basically shows Anakin all of his tricks in that one fight. Agreed. And does Anakin never think when he's in the suit to, you know, maybe insulate it? Yeah, that, uh, those electrics kind of 
it's delicate. Right, on that note, actually, as I stated last week, I don't believe Yoda should ever have been seen on screen doing flips and twirls, when for 22 years he's been sold as a frail old man. Ditto Dooku and Palpatine. Sometimes you just have to let old men be old men. Having them leap about with agility even I couldn't manage is a disservice to their character. The only scene when we should have seen Yoda's lightsaber is the point when he's about to get murdered by the clone troopers on Kashyyyk. A Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense. Never attack. That constitutes a defense, and it should have been a simple whirl of a green blade flung about by the force, returning after a double decapitation to a stable and slow-moving Yoda. By all means, he needed to take on Palpatine, but let them be what they are, aged, wise practitioners of the Force, transcending the use of weapons. Their battle should have taken place in a large room and been all about the physical manifestation of a pair of immense and evenly matched wills. The air should have crackled with energy, and the scenery around them should have groaned and buckled, eventually shattering. Instead, we get a repeat of the Dooku fight from clones with a few changes of location and Ian McDermott once again in cackling, bouncy, rubber face mode. The outcome had to be the same and outmatched Yoda admitting defeat and fleeing, but the character would have remained true. Again, again, these guys have, you know, allegedly hundreds of years of practicing with the Force to the point where using a lightsaber... Jumping around like a like a rabbit on steroids should not matter anymore. It should just be because again, what does Yoda say to Luke in Empire Strikes Back? Many things. You know, yeah, size doesn't matter, right? Hmm. It, it's all about using the Force. So they should be so in tune with the. Hey, look, no, the midichlorians inside them should be so in oh, tune with the hey, Force. No, <laughs> don't say the M word. <laughs> they don't no, exist. They should be so in tune with the Force that all their movements are very subtle. All of them. Mm. They, they, they should not have to physically engage into anything because, the, again, you're talking the Dark Lord of the Sith and you're talking the most powerful known Jedi in the galaxy. Mm. Why would they be bouncing around off walls the way they are? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And also, it's it's in the middle of another spectacular lightsaber fight. We don't need two at once. Yeah. I think someone really said, should have given George Lucas this invaluable piece of information. Sometimes less is yes. more. Oh, hells yes. of why I hate uh, this film so much. It's, it's one of the primary reasons, um, other than the fact that Anakin's turn is ridiculous, uh-huh. was the fact that right at the end we have a 30-second explanation as to uh, training that Obi-Wan's going to have to do in exile. Yeah. He's going to be- learn how to become one with the Force because Qui-Gon had managed to do it. At no point during the trilogy, not at any given second, at any point ever during the trilogy, right up until this point, is Qui-Gon mentioned to have been able to have done, like, achieve this in any mm. way, shape, they, or form. That means over thousands of years, none of the Jedi, apart from Qui-Gon, learned how to become one with the Force. But they still None of them? They didn't tacitly explain that at any point up until right this second. Like, oh, by the way, Qui-Gon's not really dead, and... Uh, 
because that, that could quite be seen, quite easily be seen, you know, as 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 as, as something else. But like at this point, they're basically saying Qui Gon isn't dead. He just became one with the Force, and they've not said anything to do with that along that line, other than that, no, potentially. Well, at the same time, though, they only did that because they were explaining why at no point in the entire trilogy had Obi-Wan been visited by Qui-Gon and him asked, what shall I do with this boy? I cannot handle him. I'm not the master I should have been. I'm not you. That would have been a great discussion. Just get Liam Neeson in for a day. Yep. And it, it's one another one of those many things that did not need to be explained. I really do believe the prequels were doomed to fail from the start because the simple fact is whatever we can think up of, as being the backstory, will be ten times better than whatever is put on screen. I don't think we needed the backstory. No, no, because Star Trek Eleven was better than I could ever have thought at the origin of Kirk and Spock. It was like, wow, this is cooler than any Star Trek I've ever seen. Yeah, but that was a reimagining, so that's, that's giving yeah. it more leeway. J- stick J.J. Abrams on directing duties for the prequels, and I think you'd find something of a reimagining. Oh, <laughs> yes, I, because I, yeah. he turned around and go, no, George, no, piss off. Yeah. I'm doing just, it my way. Get back to your producer's chair, keep counting the bucks, I've yeah. got it in hand. See, I disagree. I, I think that the prequels weren't doomed to failure. I thought they, they had a chance. They Even after the first one, even after Attack of the Clones, they mm. still had a chance to redeem themselves in the third one, and they completely blew that chance utterly in every way, shape, and form. They didn't learn from the mistakes made in the first two films at all, or should I say George didn't learn from his mistakes in the first two films at all. Mm. And, and it wasn't necessarily doomed. I really don't think it was doomed. I agree with what you guys are saying. You know, and I've, I've said this in the past before. I really feel that George Lucas got lucky with A New Hope. He really did. When we go to Empire Strikes Back, he did the right thing and he took hands off. Mm. The rumors say that he was going to be hands off with Return of the Jedi for whatever reason, then decided he needed to wrest control back. Oh, and apparently Richard Marquand was not that good a director and kept asking for help, so eventually he was like, you know, fuck it, I'm going to do this myself. Right, right. Lawrence oh. Kasdan did at least write the script, so that's why Jedi is tighter than the prequels. Right. And then by the time we flash forward to the to the prequels, Lucas is so drunk on power at this point <laughs> that there's no way he was going to let anyone but himself do all three of these movies. And that's why we have what we have. I, I, I truly and honestly believe that if Lucas would have handed this off to the right people, this trilogy could have truly been tragic rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker, Mm. which is what it was supposed to be, instead of this (laughs) kid-driven marketing machine. That's what When you really think about these three movies, it was a tool used to get kids to buy toys. Oh, okay, I can finally talk about toys. And and yet they still have the killing the younglings scene, which is just insane. Killing the youngling scenes, and on this, when I actually went back to the cinema, because like I said, I walked out the first time on episode three, when I actually went back to finish it, um, uh, there was a lot of kids in, and the majority had to be taken out for the end scene of the barbecued Anakin. It was too scary for them. So they missed the only good bit. Brilliant. (sighs) Okay, right. I can talk about toys, and I will briefly say this. I used to really be into Star Wars figures. I'll probably talk about this a bit later in the original trilogy. I started collecting in earnest around Episode 2, and then I gave up before Episode 3, because they had made fucking figures of every character. I mean, the original original vintage figures that were 93 made, they'd already surpassed that for Episode 2 before they got to Episode 3. That Every single fucking senator, every single droid, every single alien, these things didn't even have names until... It's like... Lucas was basically sitting there thinking, right, you know what? For every character I create, I get $300 a day. 
or, or whatever, basically, because he could just keep marketing these fucking figures and throwing them out there. They're still going. They are still making figures. There's a guy called Stephen J. Sansweet, who's one of the biggest collectors of uh, Star Wars merchandise in history. He did a um, book on the 95 reissues of Star Wars figures, all the way up to, let's say, 1999. That was a couple of hundred figures. And it's a great sort of big, thick, uh, hardback illustrated guide. It's really great. And I've been waiting for a long time for him to do a follow-up. There's no point in him doing a follow-up because it'll already be outdated because they release ten figures every month of different Clone Wars characters. Still. Still. And it's just this disgusting marketing machine now. I mean, it was a marketing machine before, but at least before you'd be like, yeah, get myself a Luke in Jedi gear, get myself a Princess Leia in Hoth gear, or, or you know, get myself an Anakin, get myself an Obi-Wan. But now there's millions of figures. It's obscene. If you look at it carefully, the amount of characters in the prequels could have been pared down to just the important ones. We didn't need to know about all these other ones. But he kept throwing in all these other you know, new aliens and things and filling the background with crap just so he could sell more stuff. So why didn't he just leave it to someone else to do the writing and then he just comes up with characters and counts the money? Seriously, if that's all he cared about, because it doesn't seem like he cares about the story. I think we actually have to change Paris's statement from earlier. Obi-Wan is not the luckiest bastard in the universe. <laughs> George Lucas is. <laughs> oh, no, he absolutely is. He absolutely is. And, you know, and I know this isn't a show about A New Hope, but mm. to, to tread on that really lightly for a second, I, I say he got lucky because if you look at A New Hope logically and look at what that movie is and look at the lines that are being spoken, mm. it's kind of corny, right? right? Yeah. But... In 1977, we'd never seen anything like that before. So it was this phenomenon. And then when you had a vastly superior sequel follow this, follow it up and expand this universe into something that you're like, oh my God, this is fantastic. An empire, it made a new hope even better. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Because it was kind of the setup that got us to an empire strikes back. And then, you know, we, we then at that point we got a return to Jedi and it started falling off in <laughs> Hey, toys. open for debate, but uh, yeah. I don't like Ewoks either. I've bullet pointed the reasons why the original trilogy were great movies and the prequels were not. No adversity. Now we'll talk about that in the OT because there was so much of that, but I will just leave you with that. There was no adversity for these. There was critical adversity, but everything else went. Pre- I mean, th- they didn't have to fight to get these. Uh, I'm going to go to one of Jeff Goldblum's. Uh, speeches from Jurassic Park. I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You're to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. No adversity. Over-reliance on computers to sell the world and indeed the characters. God, yes. But, you know, the reason I prefer Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones is because at least you get that feeling of a lived-in world a bit more when you're on Tatooine. It feels more real because they were actually there. Lucas lost his earlier storytelling abilities. We'll get to that for the uh, OT. But again, it seems like all of the things he thought of that would be really good in the OT just don't surface here. He's too busy trying to, to tie up how this stuff happened and not what would be really compelling as a story. And weak early draft scripts. 
No one went over the scripts and said, look, this needs strengthening up, tightening up. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And it all boils down to yes men. We can level all of our wrath at George, but it took a lot of people not challenging him along the way to fuck these movies quite as hard as he managed. He's not a talented writer or director. He's a great producer. He gets shit done, and boy howdy can he create some fun characters. But he needed to collaborate with a team of 200 or so LucasArts artists. There's actually so much in common between these three films and The Lord of the Rings trilogy, and we can't marginalise the hard work of everybody involved. But Lucas needed Rick McCallum, or even his old mate Steven Spielberg, to tell him firmly that what he was putting on screen had potential and flashes of excellence mired down by piles of garbage. And after the first movie, pig fuck that it was, was released, and evidence was out there that things were not right with this process, the shared delusion that whatever they were doing would be good enough had years to be addressed. Everybody valued their jobs too much to stand up to him, and he had decided long ago that nobody was going to tell him what to do. So at the very end, when Padme's dying because she's lost the will to live... (laughs) (laughs) She's lost the will to live? What is your degree in? Poetry? You sorry bunch of hippies? For God's sakes, don't use the billions of dollars of medical equipment around us. Why don't we all just get on our knees and pray? We don't have knees, you motherfuckers! (sighs) Can I I say something really quick on that? Yeah, go, go. You, You start off with this strong character... In, in The Phantom Menace of Padme. I mean, she's a strong female lead character, right? That's Even right. in Attack of the Clones, she's picking up a blaster. She's out there fighting with everyone. One-handed. Yeah. <laughs> you end her arc by, because her her man has turned to the dark side and is killing little Jedi kids, she no longer has the will to live for her own children that are in her belly. So she's going to uh-huh. abandon her kids because of An- Anakin and die. Bullshit. Ridiculous. Yes, complete bullshit. bullshit. There is no explanation in any single way that can possibly rationalize that. It's just the most absurd, absurd way of closing down a character. It's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. I, th- this is just bullshit. She died because she had to die. And, no, and no, Lucas agrees. chickened agrees. out of actually injuring her. Did it ever occur to Lucas that the sight of your newborn healthy babies might just mend a broken heart really fucking fast? It's the final nail in Amidala's coffin of weakness. She's unable to fend off the obsessive advances of a whiny teenage Anakin and eventually seems to just surrender. Then she's unable to communicate with Jedi Anakin or realise how dark and megalomaniacally insane he's becoming. Then when he turns out to be something of a bad egg, she just gives up and dies. Not even a fraction the worthy, brave mother of the last two newborn Jedi that Luke and Leia and we, the audience, deserve. If she had died desperate to live, to protect the children, but internal injuries overtook her, yes, it would have made the children cry, more than just her dying of a broken heart. But God damn, would we adults have been sad to see her go. And then we get Anakin being put in the Vader suit and being told she's dead. And this is the best moment of the prequels because Vader is born before our eyes. The next few seconds are so crucial. At this point, he's lost his limbs, his looks, and with creepy robotic limbs and breathing apparatus grafted onto his hideously burned torso and head. This is enough of a horrific situation to drive most people insane. But remember, this is a man who's also lost everything. His position on the Jedi Council, the friendship of his master, his wife, his unborn child, and on murdering Jedi, unarmed aliens, and defenseless children. Let's face it, he's lost his soul. This is the utter 
breaking of a man, the shattering of dreams and potential, leaving a horrendous mechanical wraith. The closest moment I can think of is Michael Corleone at the end of The Godfather 3. Right, you know, there's a little spoiler warning here, so if you want to just uh, put your fingers in your ears. But if you haven't seen it by now, friggin', you know, moratorium. His daughter is killed in front of him as a direct result of who he is and what he's done. Her blood is on his hands. The immensity of a lifetime of good intentions and bad deeds comes crashing down on top of him, and he falls to his knees and screams in utter anguish and despair. It's Al Pacino, of course, as well. I mean, he can he can somewhat outact Hayden Christensen. It's the redeemingly powerful finale for an otherwise disappointing third film. Something like that, with a full-throated roar from James L. Jones, mixed in with the screeching mechanics of his new body. A shiver would have leapt down the spines of every person in that audience if he'd just fallen to the floor and screamed, and a legend would have been born. What happens in Sith is Vader stumbles forward like Frankenstein's monster and shouts... The camera pans back on a crane like a made-for-television action movie. Damn you, Salazar! (laughs) Epic fail. You know what? You could actually take that scene and just redub it. So rather than going, oh, no! Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! No! No, 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 no! No! Have him just scream. The ultimate problem with me for Darth Vader at this point is that he just seems too young to be Darth. Mm. Like when you th- when you think about the character who's inside there, I can't associate someone as young as as Anakin's supposed to be as being Darth Vader. It just doesn't fit right in my brain. So maybe a well, gradual climb towards the suit would have been better. So it's like he gets yeah, elements of it, like a like a prototype Vader suit at that point, maybe. Right. Like, right. Well, first of all, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here and say the whole no and and all that. You can't look at it as this is the last gasp of his humanity oh yeah being let out so you, you can look at it that way and kind of forgive it and i also agree what you just said as far as he's too young to be what we consider darth vader right now and that again goes to the fact that you started off the phantom menace with him as his little kid and by the second movie he was only a teenager that's why i think the first movie he should have been a teenager mm. Or maybe even a bit older, so less white. Right. And By the older. end of Attack of the Clones, we, we flash-forwarded. Anakin's now a grown man. He's he's in his 30s. I think he should be in his 30s, because I also think Obi-Wan's oh. too young, too, by the way. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, yeah, Sharon mentioned this. We were watching episode four the other day, and Sharon went, so what, is Obi-Wan like 55 there? How old is yeah. he supposed to be? Right, because I always took Obi- Obi-Wan in the original trilogies as being in his 70s. Oh, and don't forget Owen as well. Owen looks like he's like 26, and then 20 right. years later, he's like 46. He looks like he's 60. Yeah. That was so, a again, crazy that, that old continuity, man. That whole continuity screwed up, but... The point is, yeah. The, uh, Anakin, the years on the desert winds were not kind to Baru either. Right. Well, <laughs> I think this is a this is a fundamental problem with the trilogy is there's no sense of time. Time does not seem to exist in these movies mm. at all. Mm. The passing of time never things don't never age. Felt. You know, Anakin by the end of a t- end of the second movie, he's in his thirties. He's fallen to the dark side. I think the third movie picks up that he's been actively hunting and taking down the Jedi over mm. a decade or so. I don't think it should have been something that happened quickly. I think it should have been methodical. It should have been something that took a long time to do that by the time Anakin and Obi-Wan see each other again, that final battle where he's finally struck down and puts on the suit, there had been just, like I said, decade 
of history between these guys of of Obi-Wan maybe trying to find Anakin to hunt him down, whatever the case may be, that by the time their final confrontation comes, Anakin's hands have been stained with years of blood. Yep. You know, but at the same time, what about Amidala? Did he? Yeah, does, is Luke ten years old and living on Tatooine at this point, or I is, think so. you know, is Amidala? Get, you know, does she like the taste of evil, Dick? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there's your point that I, I think Lucas doing it the way that he did, he wrote himself into a hole because yeah. he didn't know what to do with Amidala. Or like I said, he punished her or whatever. And then you have the whole thing of the kids and how old are they by the time we get to the original trilogy. You know, because I would almost like to see that, all right, the kids were actually born in the second movie. Yeah. And they're put into hiding at that point. Oh, yeah. That could have been the MacGuffin of the third movie, basically just trying to keep these babies away from Anakin. Exactly. I mean, they could even be up to, like, two and not remember any of this stuff. But, but then you've got little, little kids. <laughs> or then you Jedi wipe their minds. Kind of like C-3PO. Now, now, let me ask you this. Are, are, we, to, are we to believe, and I, and I kind of like it this way, that R2-D2 knows what's going on the entire time? I think so. Yeah. The way I would have written it as well, basically, I would have had C-3PO have his memory erased, and, and then R2 be like, ah, here we go again. Bloody hell. <laughs> Oh, R2-D2, please to meet you. That was a pretty good I would also like the idea of, uh, as I think I said this in episode one, um, of C-3PO voluntarily having his memory erased. The idea that a droid can't really feel pain and sadness, that it's just stuff he doesn't want in there anymore. That would have made C-3PO a bit more human and and really interesting as a character. The fact that this ranks third in my list shows you how bad the other ones are, in my opinion. This movie had flashes of things that we had been waiting to see for decades, Mm. right? creation of Darth Vader, the fight with Anakin, Obi-Wan, those type of things, the purge, all that. There were flashes there. There were moments of brilliance that were coupled by moments of absolute complete failure. They almost balanced themselves out to just be a, a decent movie. I, I can't. This film is just the epitome of everything that was wrong with the prequels. It, it did, it like, like you said, it, it did have all these moments. It did have the fall. It did have Darth Vader's creation. It did have the purge. But they did them all wrong and all missed opportunities in every way, shape, and form. I can't, like, I, I actually can't willingly will myself to think of a worse way that any one of them could have been done. They were done in the the, the wrongest sense. Every oh, single gosh. one of them, not not just one. All of them. The fall of the Jedi happened in the space of a day. The the the. The, the, the turn of Anakin happened in the space of a day. There was this rush to get it all done in an afternoon. Like, it just, like if they hadn't done it really quickly, the Jedi would have gone, whoa, whoa, hang on a second. We're not getting exterminated. Time for a big Jedi battle. I mean, it, it, it had so much potential and it wasted every last bit of it. I mean, and, and the, the, unlike the pre, other prequels, one still had two and three. Two still had three. So I still had hope for three, even after I didn't enjoy the first two that much. Um, I, like I was going into episode three thinking, right, they might actually do it right. After episode three, there was emptiness, absolute emptiness and disgust. And it's, and, and it might be unfairly directed more at episode three than the other two, but at this point, there it was, shattered that hope for you. Exactly. There is nothing else. There was no, there's not going to be an episode 3.5 to explain it all and make it all better. There wasn't. There was basically, oh, right. And then that's that. So you didn't like it then? No. <laughs> no, sir, no, sir, I did not like it. These prequels just seem to me now, going back to them, seem to be generic, cookie-cutter-shaped dross. I think the thing that really bugs me the most, you look at these, these, this story and you go, in there, there's a fantastic story to be told. But 
George, you're not the man to do it. You are not the man to write it. There's so much promise and just to be repeatedly dashed through episode one, episode two, and finally episode three just killed it all for me. It was just like, why the fuck am I doing this? Episode three is basically like George wiping his cock on your curtains after he's done. Yep, pretty, pretty much. much. And then asking me for money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leaving you with a $7 and, bill. And the worst thing is, it didn't stop there. We got the Clone Wars um, animated oh. television show, a movie. He's not stopping is the worst thing. He's going, oh, I really have screwed... He knows he screwed the pooch. He's trying to fill in more backstory in the backstory. More toys. Did I not explain it enough? More, more toys. toys. Make more, more toys. toys. Okay. Uh. On that bombshell, Mike and Paris, pimp your shows, please. I do a gaming show with my friends in association with Gamers Voice. It's called The Gamer Overcast. Uh, check it at gameovercast.co.uk. It's basically funny, about games, about news, and it has a fantastic quiz. And Paris, pimp your show. Uh, you can find me at a couple places. I do a video game podcast called Uncle Gamer Radio, which you can find at talkingaboutgames.com. And I also do a movie and TV show podcast called Remember When, which you can find at filmtangent.com. And remember when was uh, basically on listening to that while I was in the middle of doing just video games for a long period because I hadn't done movies for a while. I was like, man, I've got to get back into watching and talking about movies. And uh, it's fantastic to finally have you on. The circle is now complete. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I really like the uh, the final couple of frames, despite what everything that's come before. Oh. It, it just seems whole and real and appropriate when uh, Bail Organa and uh, his wife get given baby Leia and uh, Baru and Owen get given baby Luke and then it lands on the final twin Tatooine sons and it's just... It, that's really effective. Those final few scenes are the only bit that really do feel like Star Wars. Yeah. So that's all from us this week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. I've been Mike Barton. And I'm Paris. May the force be with you. Except on Jedi. No. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. 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 No.